Sir Isaac Newton, the renowned physicist and mathematician who gave us the laws of motion and the theory of gravitation, once made this remark. In the absence of any other proof, he said, the human thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. Newton was fascinated by even this one single sign of the genius of the Creator Himself. He marveled at the microscopic whorls of a human fingerprint. This mark that touches each and every life and signifies it as a unique and unrepeatable masterpiece of the Creator's hand. Newton particularly delighted in the thumb's capacity to oppose each of the four fingers, thereby giving human beings this unusual capacity to hold and to manipulate objects and to craft tools by which they could study or shape their environment like no other species on earth. The great scientist, of course, was not the first or the last person to be enraptured by the capacity of hands. In a marvelous essay published exactly 30 years ago this very weekend, a terrific missionary in India for many years by the name of Dr. Paul Brand opined on this same wonder. After 40 years as a surgeon, Specializing in hands, wrote Brand, I am convinced that nothing else in all of nature rivals the hand's combination of strength and agility and tolerance and sensitivity. We use our hands, says Brand, for the most wonderful activities of life, for art and music and writing and healing and touching some people go to concerts. They go to athletic events to watch the performance. I just go to watch the hands, says Brand. To just transfix on the hands. Seventy separate muscles contribute to hand movements, he writes. But, but in order to allow the dexterity and the slimness for actions such as piano playing, the finger has to have no muscle in itself. It, 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 tendons are the things that transfer the force from the muscles higher up in the arm. For if the fingers had muscles that could grow large and bulky through use as muscles do, humanity would never have been able to caress and to control, and to craft, and to create this world that we now enjoy, writes Brand. No wonder we have come to think of power in terms of hands, if you think about it. When Michelangelo was sculpting his magnificent statue of David, he wrestled with how to portray the awesome potency of this young shepherd boy. And so he did it by giving him an unusually large pair 
of hands. And when the artist later on sought to to convey on the Sistine Chapel ceiling the transfer of life-giving power from the creator to his creatures, how did he represent this? He pictured the hand of God and the hand of man reaching out for one another. What do we do when we're releasing or conferring authority of some kind to someone else? We hand over the keys. We put our kids, our trust, our hope in someone's hands. What do we say when we want to help somebody up in life? I'll give you a hand. Let me give you a hand. What do we do when we want to to seek God's power in prayer? We fold our hands or we lay on our hands. Scientifically, sexually, artistically, medically, relationally, spiritually, there's power in our hands. We know this. We know this, and not accidentally, I might add. God put the power there. God gave us this extraordinary capacity. We were meant to use this amazing power he gave us to bear his image and to promote the flourishing of his creation and his creatures in myriad ways. And that is why what happened on Good Friday is so starkly and symbolically and seriously significant. It is because of what the players did there with the power in their hands. Matthew's Gospel tells us that several days before, One of the twelve disciples, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over, deliver him over to you? So they counted out 30 pieces of silver, and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Late on Monday, Thursday, Judas led the temple guards to the Garden of Gethsemane where they forcibly laid hands on Jesus and hauled him off to a mock trial before the high priest and the religious council of Jerusalem. And there we are told they struck him with their fists and they slapped him. And meanwhile, Simon Peter, the one who had boasted, as you will recall, that he would hang on to Jesus no matter what, that he would never let him go, Even if everybody else abandoned him, now Peter brushes off and fends off and casts off the very notion that he even knew who Jesus was. He swore to them, I don't even know the man. I don't even know him. Talk to the hand. So then they took Jesus over to King Herod, who wanted to seize it see Jesus do some kind of miracle, some kind of parlor trick for him. And had Jesus uh, complied, I suppose, Herod would have given him a warm hand. 
But instead, when Jesus did not comply, Herod gave him the back of his hand. Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked Jesus, the scriptures say. They dressed him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate could find nothing wrong with Jesus. He made a brief effort to try to pardon Jesus, for he knew it was out of self-interest that they had what? Handed him over. Handed Jesus over to him. But some demagogues had been paid to whip up the crowd. And if mercy is to be given to anybody, they shouted, Give us Barabbas! Give us the murderer Barabbas, the terrorist Barabbas. Give him to us instead. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate knew that if a if a riot broke out right there as it was threatening to break out, he would lose his position as the Roman governor of Palestine and he was not about to give up his power. He wouldn't do it. And so when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, the Bible says, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands. He washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged. And I quote, he handed him over to be crucified. Just listen now to what happens next. The governor's soldiers stripped him. They put a, a scarlet robe on him, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and then they knelt in front of him, and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said, and they spit on him, and they took the staff, and they struck him again and again and again on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, and they put his own clothes on him, and then they led him away to crucify him. If we are honest... If we are self-aware at all, we know that human beings have been party to many scenarios like this through the ages. We have witnessed people who were entrusted with amazing capacity for good and seen them use their power in corrupt, selfish, or weak ways. We know about the Perversions of justice that go on. We've read about and seen the unnecessary brutality that happens. We've heard the cries of the bloodthirsty mobs. We have watched the betrayals and the beatings and the beheadings. We're not far from the lynchings and the drive-by shootings. 
and the school slaughters that happen all over this world today. We have often turned our faces away from such wrongs. We just can't bear it. We think, I never really knew him. I never really knew her. I never really knew them. We've washed our hands of responsibility for what the world has become. We have distanced ourselves from any kind of responsibility for saving people. We might actually have the power to rescue And the story of Good Friday is actually the story of our world, just hand-packed into one day. Into one day. It's our story. Had people done all of this we've been talking about to any human being, It would have been unthinkably awful. It is unthinkably awful what's being done to so many human beings today. But what makes what happened on this particular Friday so stark and symbolic and serious is that human beings did this to him. They did it to him. You see, his were the all-powerful hands that reached out into the nothingness and brought the universe and a glorious world into being. His were the creative hands that, that in a metaphorical sense, scooped up some of the dust of the cosmos and shaped it into the life that we call our own. It was his generous hands that entrusted human beings with staggering resources and responsibilities. It was his kind hands that prescribed certain limits on our life, not to prevent us from good, but to protect us from evil. It was those wise hands that wrote upon the tablets of the law and the soul of the prophets, the very will of God that leads us towards life in all of its fullness. It was his sovereign hands that raised up leaders and brought down certain kingdoms according to his divine purposes. And then when the people of his handiwork still persisted in sinful rebellion and confusion, his gracious hands did something almost too amazing for the human mind to embrace. They stretched them themselves further still and they reached out across that infinite distance between eternity and time and they touched the womb of a peasant woman and gave new life and the power and the glory that was larger than the universe itself took on these tiny little fingernails and the wrinkled little knuckles and the almost microscopic little thumbprint of baby hands. And God had done it again. 
He had done it again. This time in a straw-filled manger that hinted of a once-and-future garden where a man and a woman surrounded by animals had formed this tiny little pocket of flourishing against the cold of the night and the loneliness and savagery of this world, God came again to restart, to restart the process of creation. And he would grow up to say, I have come for this that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In the years that followed, those baby hands became man's hands. And they went to work in all kinds of vivid ways. They touched lepers and outcasts with acceptance. They overturned tables of greed and they cast out spirits of evil. They unmasked the hypocrisy of the pious and pointed out the beauty of the humble. They lifted up the lame. They opened the eyes of the blind. They transformed water into fine wine and a child's lunchbox into a feast for 5,000 people. They washed feet and they broke bread and they lifted the cup of a new covenant and they played the concerto of God's grace and they sculpted an image for us of a shepherd king and they painted the ceiling of this world with a picture of God and humanity possibly connecting all over again. All over again. And in myriad ways, marvelous ways, Jesus, the hands of Jesus, showed us what power is for. You know what it's for by now. It's for flourishing. It's for flourishing. But we crucified those hands. Those hands. We crucified them. Human beings with the same kind of motivations in the same kind of world that we live in today, they nailed those hands to a cross. Dr. Paul Brand, the surgeon that I mentioned earlier, provides some further insight here. He says, I, I know well what crucifixion must have done to Christ's hands. Roman executioners drove their spikes through the wrist, right through the carpal tunnel that houses, that houses finger-controlling tendons and the median nerve itself. It is impossible to force a spike right there without maiming the hand into a claw shape. That's what it does. It just automatically drives the hand into this claw shape from which it cannot recover. And later on, his entire body weight hung from those hands, tearing more tissue, releasing more blood. Jesus had no anesthetic as his hands 
were marred and destroyed, writes Brand. Just marred and destroyed. And yet Christians believe that at that very moment, when the hands of corrupted human power had done their very worst, when evil was gleefully wringing his hands, saying, ah, he can't even move anymore. I've got him where he can't even move anymore. Jesus was not quite finished. Because there was one more thing he could do with those hands. He could bleed with them. He could bleed with them and die with them, which was what he came to do. No one takes my life from me, says Jesus, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I can take it up again. This is what the cross, this beloved is what Good Friday is really all about. Jesus came to show us in one unforgettable image the horror of what human power does when it is divorced from God and his purposes. In an unforgettable image, known the world over, God said, this is what happened. This is what happens when you turn yourself from me. Christ came to let his very life's blood become the sacrifice in the, in the manner prefigured by all the ancient sacrifices of the innocent lambs. He came to let himself, his life's blood, be poured out as the sacrifice that would pay the final price for your sin and my sin from the only blood bank large enough to cover the debt. Jesus came to proclaim a love and a forgiveness even for his enemies, even for those who were just too ignorant to get what they were doing with their hands. And I see those crucified hands of his closing like claws on that cross. I see those opposable thumbs that Newton so cherished taking hold of death itself like a surgeon takes hold of a scalpel to save lives. And that's what he did. That's just what he did. And when he could hold on to the scalpel no longer, when his job was finished, the image was indelibly marked on history. The debt was fully paid. When the curtain of the temple that separated the holy place from the place of human sin was torn in two, signaling that the way was now absolutely all clear for human beings to walk now unbroken, vulnerable, with no worries, back into the arms of their creator again. When all of this had been accomplished, Jesus did likewise. He walked back 
into his father's arms. He gave himself back to the eternal power from whence he had come. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Beloved, you do likewise, okay? As you and I come to this table tonight, let's do likewise. Trust in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Believe in the power of the love and the forgiveness that he still has for repentant human beings. Walk into this next season of your life with hope. Because this is the good news. There is power in his hand.